we've been in a series talking about the fivefold gifts, and so I've been working on this kind of since the beginning, but this is the fivefold gifts and the relationship with social media, because it, social media is so involved in our lives. You know, we, week by week, we've gone through descriptions of what it looks like if you are gifted one of these areas, but, you know, the reality is we don't really know people in person anymore um, due to COVID, which is obviously over because of that nacho thing going on, but, um, <laughs> all right, so, but... Now we know people via social media, so this is how you can judge in a good way the fivefold gifts via Facebook or Instagram, probably mostly Facebook, those type of things. But somebody who is a gifted pastor on social media, you are going to see them on almost every post saying, hey, we missed you at such and such. You know, whatever it was going on, they're always commenting on people's sadder posts, you know, like, hey, I'm here if you need me. Message me. Call me. Beat me if you want to reach me. No, uh, but in, in they're inviting them out for coffee. That, those are the things that you see them saying. Um, they like probably every post that comes across their page because they just want to support you, you know. On their own pages, they're filled with helpful, inspiring sayings, usually with the status of reach out if you need to talk. A teacher, on the other hand, they're probably correcting people and not because they want to be necessarily like, in your face, but they're like, the truth is so important, so the truth needs to be told. I see you made your post, and it's a joke, but here's the real truth about it, you know, and they're always out there because truth is so important. They're probably involved in many different theology groups where they can spend their day in discussion. Um, they, on their own page, they're posting quotes by their favorite authors and sharing teachings from YouTube or podcasts, those type of things. Um, an evangelist, on the other hand, they're just on social media looking for a good time. They're very positive. They've probably been out traveling. They might even be one of those influencers you've heard of, you know. Um, they're allies to everyone, and they're friends with the most unbelievers. You know when it allows you to change your profile picture in support of whatever is happening? They're the first to do it um, because they care about those people. The most controversial stuff that they post on their page is just that they're upset with the church by not caring enough for those on the outside. Otherwise, their social media is just filled with fun, if anything at all. A prophet, now they're concerned with the state of the world. They're calling everyone back to God. They're trying to get things right and right with God. They might be in arguments over what, what is right and wrong in order to bring alignment to the world around them. They're very encouraging, or encouraging to those that they see doing the right thing and constantly, I left my water, what a rough morning, um, constantly encouraging other people to get right and get their lives in order. Sorry. The rest of the world is probably confused by their page sometimes because of the things that they're sharing that don't quite make sense with what everybody else is seeing. And there's probably some sort of creative element on their page as well, um, you know, whether it's art or music or, you know, just something creative. Now, Apostle, on the other hand, their social media is just all over the place. You probably start, they're probably starting a new business or some sort of new adventure every week or so, um, each time totally different. They've probably messaged you a few times to join their team and make lots of money. You know, um, you never know which hobby they are on currently. They have lots of friends, but they have real connections with them from all over. Um, sometimes they're loving people, and the next time they're in a deep argument with people. They're usually posting about the new movement they want you to join, and on their page, they're sharing their own thoughts and causing some interesting conversations. We'll leave it at that. All right, let me know if I nailed it or not. Raise your hand if you felt called out by your gift. 
Anybody? Okay, I guess I need to go back to the drawing board a little bit. But um, if you're on Facebook with us, you can use a little raise your hand emoji if we nailed it there for you. Um, like I said, we're in our series, Spiritual Gifts. Obviously, we're focusing on spiritual gifts and how God has uniquely gifted each of us for the purpose of building his church. And we're starting with what we've called the fivefold. And by starting, I actually mean we're like six weeks into this series. And um, this is actually our last day talking about the fivefold. But those fivefold gifts are found in Ephesians 4, 11. It says, now these gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Now, I believe that God has gifted every single person on earth with one of these five gifts as their kind of main drive in everything that they do. And now these five gifts, if we continue reading through verse 16, have a purpose, and that's to build the church and grow the church into supernatural unity and maturity that will be healthy, growing, and full of love. Like I said, today's the last day we're really focusing on this fivefold stuff, but we are going, and we're going to move into a time focusing on the rest of the spiritual gifts for the rest of the summer. But this won't be the last time that these fivefold gifts come up in a message or in conversation around here, because as, you'll see, as you will see today, this is very important to the structure of church and what we are trying to build here. And so maybe you're new here and you're like, I have no idea what this series is about and stuff. Well, it doesn't matter. Focus today. You'll, you'll understand. You'll be able to follow along. Don't feel like you've missed out. And then go back to our Facebook page. Um, if you got our email list, I'll send out another email this week with um, this link to an assessment test to help you kind of get pointed in the right direction of where you might be gifted most. And then go back and listen to the, um, at least the week that you think you're gifted in. And uh, really, I encourage you to listen to all of them because they're very important. Um, they're on our Facebook, on our YouTube. We have a podcast. Um, you can find them everywhere and uh, listen to them because this is important on how our church will grow and move forward. So if you missed some of them, maybe you missed yours specifically, please go back and catch those things. And if you remember, at the very beginning, we started this message with the goal of unity. It's good to remember that none of these gifts that we've talked about are the head. None of them are the leader of the church. We all work together to serve the purpose of Jesus. He is the head of these gifts. Colossians 1.18 says, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning. He is the supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. No other gift is more important than the other. And they all function best with an attitude of serving one another. Each of the healthy functioning gifts have to come with the attitude of how does my gifting best serve those who are around me. In 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7, talking about spiritual gifts, it says, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. Ephesians 4, 15 through 16, which is, you know, the, the verse that, verses that follow up where we find the fivefold gifts. It says, instead, we will speak truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy, growing, and full of love. God had a plan. Jesus had a plan on how his church would be furthered, and in that, he gave us these gifts. He never left us on our own to accomplish it, but he perfectly put out a plan and all of the things that we need. 
Mark Manson in the book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a F Word. Um, it's a very interesting book. It's not Christian, if you couldn't tell. Um, but it was the number one international bestseller and the number one New York Times bestseller with over 6 million copies sold in, I think, like 2017. The tagline of the book is a counterintuitive approach to living a good life. Like I said, it's not a Christian book, but there's some really good truths in it. Um, I actually picked it up a couple years ago on my Kindle because I didn't think people should see me actually holding the actual book. Um, but <laughs> don't scroll my list is all I'm saying. And, uh, but I, I finally got a chance to read it um, in this last month or so. And I picked it up because it was this bestseller. And I was like, why is everybody reading this book? There must be something really good in it. So I picked it up and I read through it. And it's a pretty good book. If you don't like cuss words, don't buy it. Though um, It has the F word in it more times than my junior high school bus did. But <laughs> anyways, Mark Monson said this, uh, Mark Manson said this in the book. He says, we are all, for the most part, pretty average people. But it's the extremes that get all the publicity. We kind of know this already, but we rarely think and or talk about it, and we're certainly never, we certainly never discuss why this could be a problem. Our lives today are filled with information from the extremes of the bell curve of human experience. Because in the media business, that's what, get, what gets eyeballs, and eyeballs bring dollars. Yet the vast majority of life resides in the humdrum middle. The vast majority of life is unextraordinary and indeed quite average. And because we're all quite average most of the time, the deluge of exceptional information drives us to feel pretty insecure and desperate because clearly we are somehow not good enough. Right? We live in a society that seems to reward the extremes of, of life. Right? America's Got Talent isn't just fun to watch because of all the amazing acts, it's also fun to watch because of the really bad acts, right? Like, that's just as exciting as somebody who gets up and does the most amazing thing you've seen. You're like, that's the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. And my life is improved because of it. You're right? right. We love watching bloopers of the actors that we love because it makes them seem real because they also mess up. Right? Some of the most watched YouTube videos are those, like, greatest human acts of all time. Watch these amazing things. You know, but also, some of the most watched videos are fail videos, where it's like, watch how everything can go horribly wrong, right? And you, and you just like, oh, I can't get enough of these things. Um, I want to remind you that God has gifted you, but you might and probably do just feel like an average person. And even in your gifting, you will most likely be mediocre at best on your own. When we hear some of these gifts, we immediately go, that can't be us because so-and-so is an evangelist and I can't do that. Or so-and-so is a pastor and I can't do that. Or, you know, and you start to write it off because you're like, I'm just down here. But God, God knows that we're actually all down here. He understands that we can't be better than that. So we, because of that, we tend to not accept our giftings because we have these, you know, exceptional people that we look up to but really, they're not the majority of us. I've heard many times through this series, I took the test and got this result, but that can't be me because of blah, 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 blah. But you're not called to be them. You're called to be you, and you're gifted to be you. Human experience is average overall. Doing things within your own power, human power, will only lead to mediocre experiences at best. But guys, we have something that's so much bigger than the human experience that we can, 
that, that we can be a part of and have access to to take us to above average moments. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Often we read that and go, that's just like about the evangelist gift. They're the ones telling people. But even in that word telling, it's more like this reflecting, this showing, not so much just verbal. It's about being a witness. And that's like when you witness something, it's just everything you observe from somebody. And when you're living in your gift, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that is showing people to the ends of the earth, God. We can be directly empowered by God through the Holy Spirit to take our gifts to the next level. Right? One of the greatest ways that the Spirit empowers us is in these five gifts that's been built into us to build the church. These are part of the blueprint, along with the Great Commission to build the church, the body of Christ. Without surrendering your lives and your gifts to the Holy Spirit, you will only see these gifts working in average human power. But if you can hand it over and listen to the direction of the Holy Spirit, we will start to see amazing things happen here. That's what I want. Right? There's people out there that, you know, maybe they're the evangelist and they have that natural salesperson and they can go be really good in sales. But if they can hand that over to God, say, God, like, there's something more. And I love this, that picture of when Jesus is going out and getting his disciples and some of them were fishermen. And they were good fishermen. That was their job. But he goes, you know what? You can be more. You can be fishers of men. And that's like, that's for all of our gifts. It's like you might be naturally talented in a certain area and be good at it in a worldly stance. But God's calling you to build something so much better and so much bigger. This isn't just an idea or one idea of how the church should run or a certain style of church. This is the blueprint that God has laid out for the church. The fact that Christ looked at the church and thought, man, how, what can I give them that will help continue the purpose that I have left empty on the, on the earth when I walked away? What, what do they need to fulfill what I've called them to? And he said, these five gifts. If I can give them, if I can put them into every person, if I can empower them there, this will continue my church. It reminds me of video games where, you, you know, you have different characters to choose. And depending on the level, you know, like these person's strengths will help you succeed in this level. But if you pick this guy, like because the level involves jumping and you pick the, the bigger plumber who doesn't jump as far. No, I don't know. But, uh, you know, these strengths and weaknesses help you get through the levels of the games. Uh, I was going to show the clip from Jumanji where there are... Um, I don't know if you've seen them, the newer Jumanjis. They have like little strength and weakness things and they're hilarious. But there was a little bit of different choice language that I decided not to show. Um, but, but God has gifted us in a way and we need all of the strengths that we have to be able to build the church. We might be able to pass some levels with some of the, with some of the gifts or some over here. But if we have all of them, we will be able to succeed at what God has called us to. Right now today, the church exists somehow because of these gifts being used over the years. Often, as we have seen, those gifts have not always been in the right place. And often, not all together. But imagine putting all the gifts in one place. I think that once we start to see this stuff work, these gifts come to fruition in our church, it'll be hard to be a part of anything else. Some of the information we've been sharing throughout um, this whole series is from designdiscovery.com. 
And uh, that's where you can find that free gift assessment as well. And Tim Morris is the guy who kind of put that together. And um, he refers to all these gifts working together as the movement engine. And so, yeah, perfect. The diagram's there, way ahead of me. All right, so uh, phase one of the movement is to plant. And that's the start of a movement. And this is where the apostle thrives, right? The start of a movement, like any building, is the laying of a foundation. And it take, you know, it, it's observing the, the blueprints, observing the plans and going, okay, we need a foundation this big, this deep, you know, all these things so that it will actually support the structure we want to build upon it. So then the foundation can be laid properly to sustain the movement. An apostle usually then sets the vision as part of that foundation. He does this alongside prophets if possible because they bring in valuable spiritual insight. Phase two of a movement is called protecting. And this is where the prophet thrives. Once the initial vision has come out and has been tested and that it works and it proves true, the prophet not only helps with the vision along with the apostle, but they protect the vision. As the movement grows, they keep everything in line and in order with the vision. That's like their desire. They just want things to be right and in alignment. And so when we're doing stuff, they're like, does that actually fulfill our vision? Or is that something outside? Is that actually going to land on our foundation? Or is that something that's going to cause us to crumble? And they do that through hearing from God and bringing in, you know, the, the visions and the things that they see and hear to keep us in line with God's heart. The third phase is spreading. And this is where the evangelist thrives. They use their ability to connect with people and their desires to take the heart of the movement to the world around them. The movement then begins to grow numerically as people are drawn in by their desires and are having their needs met, along with seeing confirmation of God by signs and wonders. You know, the evangelist knows how to connect with people. They're constantly looking out these walls saying, there's a need that needs to be filled and we can do it. So let's make that happen. Phase four is to mature. And this was where shepherds or the pastor gift thrives. After growing numerically from um, evangelists bringing people in, the movement begins to get really wide. And when it, when it grows like that, we lose track of making sure everyone is getting the experience of life with God. So we need shepherds or the pastors to come in and help cultivate the experiences in everyone's lives to help mature the movement and then to bring the emotional depth and to shape people into the places where they are functioning within the movement instead of just bystanders watching it happen. This is both individually and corporately that pastors do this, as shepherd the flock. They also begin to start seeing and watching for those who are missing from the, the group or who are being pushed out and things and reaching out to them and pulling them back in um, through helping and, and encouraging them. And the last phase is to root. And this is where teachers thrive. A movement needs rooted. It needs the systematic theology in place, the, the answers to why are we really doing this? You know, so that people go, yeah, I, I, I get that now. I understand. So now I can stand firm here because I see the truth and find my place in that. Because a movement needs rooted to last. The teacher is making sure it's not just an experience, but that it's real and it's backed up in truth. The teacher stabilizes the movement by bringing that truth into it. Usually that means also traditions. Um, they're introduced because traditions stabilize. Teachers take the revelation from apostles and prophets and they give it depth and information and the foundation of scripture. Now there's a few things I want to note about this movement that these little circles that are there, they, they, this isn't just one thing. You can over, see an overall in a movement. And this happens in all movements. 
everything that's happening out there, all these things are happening because this is natural giftings that Christ has put into every person, not just the church. So you can look at any movement in history and you can see these things working. You know, obviously they'll use different terms for who's leading and protecting and spreading and those things, but naturally those people are in those gifts. But in the movement of the church overall, you can see these big things happening and where we're at, but all of those are also happening in, in like micro scale, like in every little different ministry and little piece within the church is happening over and over again, kind of all at once. Uh, also, this is a circle. The end. No, I'm just kidding. It's a circle. It's not a line. It's not when you get to phase five, it ends, and you've now established who we are, and we're just there, and we just exist. But it's a circle. It continues again. And over and over again, we will have to continue to grow through those things. New things need to happen. New things need to be planted. New experiences need to be had. You know, again, we'll have to spread. You can't just stop at any one of those things. The problem with most churches really today is that they've reached phase five. And then they begin to push out apostles who are trying to bring in something new. Saying, we already have our traditions. We've already laid our foundations. Why would we do anything else? And the movement eventually goes stale, right? The, the, the problem is like, you know, if you built a structure on a foundation, it can only, that foundation can only support something so big. And once you've decided we need to add, we need to expand this, a new foundation needs to be laid. You can't just, just build another layer on top of it or it will fall. And so that's why we need apostles, why we continue to need to circle through these things. See, a lot of things churches do, like communion or churches that quote liturgies or the Apostles' Creed, etc., those are from the teachers who rooted the church. And while these are important for rooting, they aren't the only piece. And in fact, they're just a really small piece of the whole movement engine. Now, these same things come and go throughout the church in different ways over all the years because, you know, the, those new things that come and go have helped the church to thrive over all the years. But like I mentioned, if we get stuck on just the traditions or just, you know, spreading the gospel or something, we will grow stale. The reality is that if we get stuck anywhere, we're missing pieces and we won't be able to be that well-functioning movement. There's many churches out there that are functioning in one or a few or a couple of these gifts, you know, churches that are led by just a prophet. They're probably heavily based on what they have seen in the spiritual realm. There might be vision, but not full vision. There's no one maturing people. So in some ways, it's a, it's a deep church, but surface level deep because they're only focused on what is being shared now and they haven't dug deep into roots of truth. They're probably not growing numerically without evangelists and the teaching might be wishy-washy at best. Or you have an evangelist-led church. You have lots of people. It's probably like a party and it's awesome and it's fun and they're offering a lot of things to meet people's needs. But then again, there's no depth. There's no long-term vision. There's no teaching, rooting people in beliefs and no shepherds to help keep people around. So there tends to be a lot of turnover. Or you find a pastoral-led church where it's experiential-based. There's a lot of emotions. Um, usually they're very kind and caring churches, but they can't minister to everyone, so it's very small, which isn't a bad thing. But they lack long-term vision beyond the people that are already there in front of them because they can't take care of more things so they don't spread the ministry. And the teaching is more feeling-based, so it's not real depth or rooting in truth. And a teaching church has lots of truth and lots of understanding and usually lots of traditions, but they have no feeling or experiencing the things of God. 
Lots of what the Bible says, but not much about what God is saying right now. There's no vision, but biblical foundations and traditions. Not too much spreading or signs and wonders. I can picture many of these types of churches. I have visited a lot of them. And I don't want our church to be one of those. I want to be whatever Jesus was picturing when he dreamt up the church and said, these five gifts are what it needs. Now, when I look at church history, I see moves of, you know, apostles coming and sparking something new over and over, over, and over again, starting the cycle over, and that's allowed the church to persevere today. But I want to be a church and part of a movement that is continually functioning in that, not needing to come to a spot where we're so stale that somebody else needs to come and totally erupt things to make it new again. We need each other. But more than that, we need each other to be working in the roles that Jesus has given us and to understand and really understand those gifts. We have big things to accomplish from Jesus. When he left, when he went to heaven, he left his purpose here on earth for us to fulfill, and it's much greater than us. In Luke 4, 18 through 21, Jesus reads from Isaiah, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, and that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And it said, he rolled up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and all the eyes of the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them, the scripture you have just heard has been fulfilled to this very day. Like that, that is the purpose Jesus came, and that is the purpose why the church still exists today. To bring good news to the poor, to release the captives, to help the blind to see, and that, to free the oppressed. And to declare that God's favor is here. His spirit is here and can and give you that rich and satisfying life. Yeah. Yeah. That's still our purpose. And God laid out a perfect plan. Jesus laid out a perfect plan. Matthew 28, 19 through 20 tells us that we've been sent to finish the work. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In that, you can see all those gifts and where they should be functioning. You have people going. You have people making disciples. You have people baptizing. You have teaching. You have new commands that they're getting to, to teach and obey. Like, you see all of these things beginning to work. In Acts 1.8, as we've already read, we see that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do that work, to be the witnesses. And then we know that we've been equipped by Jesus with the fivefold gifts in every one of us to specifically take up a certain task. And we won't be able to accomplish the purpose without those things for sure. But above all those things, we have something greater that we must not miss. Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 is talking about spiritual gifts, um, which the, like kind of all of the spiritual gifts, which we'll get into more later. But he ends chapter 12 like this in verse 31. says, So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But now... Let me show you a way of life that is best of all. See, the Bible when, um, that we read, that we look at, when it was written, it was not divided in chapters and verses. Paul, as he was writing his letters to people, was not, you know, oh, start a new chapter, chapter three, you know, and start numbering verses. He was just writing a letter like you do today, you know, or email maybe or long text message or something. But, you know, you don't divide it up. You know, half the time I don't even put periods in my sentences. And so... 
those chapters and those verses were added later so that it would be easier for us to find, you know, certain messages and certain things that are in there. So when Paul is talking here in chapter 12, this flows directly into chapter 13. There was no space. There was no restart of something. He goes, now let me show you what is best of all and continues, if I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noising gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such a faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. These gifts we have are useless if we don't have love. Each week we, we've talked about the healthy actions of each gift and what an unhealthy and a healthy person looks like acting in their gifts. And each gift, as we found, is healthiest when we're using our gifts for other people. Each of them benefit um, from loving others with the gift. And you yourself will feel more fulfilled in life using your gifts for others' gains. And on top of that, you'll be building God's church. I would argue that the best way you can love somebody else is by using your gift healthily for others around you. And this is kind of how we come full circle in this series. And we started off talking about unity. Ephesians 4, when we find those gifts, it literally starts off talking about unity. It starts with Paul saying, Therefore I, Paul, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. And a few verses later, we, say, we see Paul say, however, Christ has given us some gifts. And I love that, however, because that means that's secondary to understanding these things. Now, why God has gifted you uniquely and purposefully for building his church, it does not matter if you cannot love other people. It hasn't quite been two months since we talked about unity, and that was a great service. And I think that we've made some great strides as a church since then, but I still find division. I still see it sneaking its way in as it does. Division comes when we start to put ourselves or yourself or your things ahead of others and their things. Jesus said in Mark 3, 24 through 25, says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Like we are building a kingdom on earth. That is the calling of the church, to bring God's kingdom here and to build it among the physical world that we're in. Now, this church already has many different things happening and many people working in different places to help grow this spiritual building, right? We have kids, we have youth, we have dining divas, we have instay, sober soldiers, Bible study, so many more things. Now, none of those things are more important or less important. If you feel either way from that, you're wrong. Because they're all part of one thing that we are building, God's kingdom. Think of it this way, if we were building a house and each one of those ministries was a different room in the house, none of them are more important than others. 
You want all of those things to happen. What if you decided, you know, oh, you know, the living room doesn't matter as much as long as I have a place to sleep and I have a bathroom and a kitchen. So let's just not even like worry about the living room. We won't even put the outside walls on the living room. No roof. You know, we'll just leave that for later. But then winter comes, you can be like, man, I wish I would have finished that. Right? Uh, we looked at a house one time that they're like, it's, you know, it's, it's a little bit rough. It needs some work. And we walked in. First off, the stairs, like going upstairs, were like not angled the way you want stairs to be angled. They're sideways, so it's kind of like a fun house. But then we walk into the living room, and there's a 10-foot hole in the ceiling straight inside. And they're like, that's the custom sunroof. No, um, but um, straight to outside. You wouldn't want a house like that. We need every person working where they're working to build this house. At times, your room may feel less important because you have less workers or maybe less people or not everything that you imagine yet. But it's not a case of importance. It's a case of maybe we need some evangelists to go out and gather more workers. Or maybe we need the shepherds and, and teachers to help root them and establish them so that they get established into our movement and get to work in the right places. It's definitely not about stealing workers from other places or being jealous of workers in one area that have moved. The whole goal with this is to get people serving where they belong. So people will be moved and they'll be involved in many different things until they find their place, right? If you have a plumber coming to help you work on your church, they're going to spend some time in the kitchen, but they're probably also going to need to spend some time in the bathroom, right? To get everything done. And yes, you know, that plumber can probably also help you carry something into the living room and, and hold drywall while you mount it or different things. But if you keep them there, the plumbing won't be done. And just as we're a body, we need all the pieces, right? You can't take blood from the heart because the muscles need it. And you can't take blood from the muscles because the brain needs it. Every piece is important and necessary, and God will provide as we grow. And because of that, I can also guarantee that none of us are called to be spectators. We're all called to have a place and a purpose. And you may not know what it is yet, but I heard this great little saying a long time ago. Uh, my senior pastor, when I was in Waverly, he actually brought it to um, our church's attention, and that's where I caught it from. But it's from the cartoon movie Robots. Um, and there's a saying in there that they live by that says, see a need, fill the need. And I love that idea because it's like, just get to work. If you see the need, fill the need, and you will find your place. That's kind of their whole thing is like, just fill the need. And you, you may not fit perfectly at first, but eventually somebody will come alongside and will fit perfectly there, and you will find your place where you fit perfectly. There is a place for you. God has perfect, like, perfectly gifted you for some part of the ministry here happening at this church. It's why you're here today. And even our ministry of this church expands beyond this wall to help grow churches outside of us, to help reach our community, to help be a presence in the community. It doesn't mean that you're going to have some role specifically here on Sundays or Wednesdays and things, which you should probably hold to something like that as well. But when we mention this stuff, it's not just what happens in this building. Now, I know we have a lot of new um, people here today and some people have come to hear about baptisms and I totally spaced bringing up the baptism people to talk and you guys are thinking, I didn't have to share, but we're going to do it at the end. So don't, <laughs> don't think that you're getting away with stuff. But um, for you guys who regularly attend here, who have been a part of this message, and even if you're new and you're like, this sounds great and I want to be a part of it, then feel free. I'm not saying don't, I'm just 
also saying we're not going to require these things out of you if you just showed up for the first Sunday and go, I did not mean to be there that day. You know, uh, <laughs> right? So this is what I really want you as regular attenders to commit to so that we can build this church how God has asked us to build it. And the first thing that I want you to commit to is to fight for unity above all other things. The building of Christ's church does not have room for one person's shows. It's primarily built upon mutual love and the laying down of each one of our lives to better the lives of the people around us. That phrase, bearing with one another in love. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6 says, For there is one body and one spirit, just as, you, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. For there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God, Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. I think Paul wanted us to understand that we need to be one when he said that. This is first importance, because verse 7 from here says, however, Christ gave us gifts. We need to fight for being unified. There is no, my thing's more important right now, your thing's more important thing right now. We're all in this together, and we all should be able to lay down our lives to help each other grow. The second thing I need you to commit to is to unity, but not uniformity, right? While we are all one body, part of one God, and fighting to keep that attitude, we must also understand that we are not all the same. We all have one main purpose, but different smaller purposes within that. We need to recognize our differences in our giftings, in the small visions, and in our production on what we will do, right? While the main goal is the same, each of us are designed to reach different goals within our giftings. And so we need to understand that unity does not mean uniformity. It means that you will look across the room and see somebody, you're not doing what I'm doing, and that's exactly what we need. The third thing is a commitment to see a need and fill the need. Have you ever been helping a friend on a project that you know nothing about? Right? They're like, hey, I need you to come work on, like, I'm working on my car, you want to come help me? And you're like, I, I barely know how to drive a car correctly, but, you know, I'll come, and you know, you're like, I can be a really good flashlight holder. You know, like, um, Bob, you got, most of you guys know Bob, he normally plays violin, he's working today, so he doesn't get to be here with us, but he's like, don't ask me to be the lead person on something. He's like, my goal in life is just to be a good helper, you know, and, but that's the kind of attitude we need. He's his vision when he comes to help me work on stuff is like, I see the need and I'm filling that need. Whatever it is, wherever it is, when we remodeled in here, most of you guys don't know we remodeled, but this wood back here was this high gloss um, thing that he sanded for two weeks because he saw the need and he filled the need and he hated the need, but he still showed up and filled the need. And he will never touch a sander again. He literally was like, I never want to see this. He saw it in my garage and he started shaking a little. Um, <laughs> But, okay, there, that's the kind of attitude we must all have for each other. Right. You know, hey, I'm not really gifted in that stuff, but I see there's a need. How can I come along and support you? Right? Do you just need me to hand you tools? Because I can probably do that, but you might have to show me a picture of what it is. But I will try. Right? That's what we need. See a need, fill the need. The fourth thing is that I need you guys to commit to finding your gifting and finding your place. Christianity has no room for spectators. In fact, 
before you even come to know Christ, you're already working in the gift that you were uniquely designed for, the purpose of building God's church without knowing it because it's so naturally built into you that your whole outlook on life functions through that gift. So take the assessment, find another person gifted like you, and start finding your place. The fifth thing is I need you to be empowered by the Holy Spirit through surrendering of your gifts. You may feel like, I got a pretty good control over it. I know what I'm doing. I'm pretty good at it. I've been doing it for a while. You're only going to be able to reach a level here. But if you can connect with God and say, God, what can you do with my gifts? You're going to be exceeding everything that you could ever imagine. Hand your gift over to God, to God. Surrender yourself to him and his purpose for your gifts. Choose not to live serving yourself, but to serve God and be amazed at what he'll do with you. And the sixth thing is that you need you to commit to love and to serve others. Use your gifts and your position to love and serve those around you. Not only will it be fulfilling Jesus' plan, but you will be empowering, you will be encouraging, strengthening, and teaching those around you, and you in turn will be fulfilled. So I ask you, if, if you can commit to those things, I'm committing to them, will you just stand with me and say, yeah, I, I want to try and do my best to do those six things so that we can see this church grow. And if you're standing because of peer pressure, thanks. That's awesome. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, because now I can hold you to it. No, uh, we're going to pray, but I want you to repeat after me. Okay, and if you want to just listen through the prayer and then say your own prayer at the end, similar, that's great too, because I'm one of those people that's like, you're not going to tell me what to say if I don't know what it is. So, um, so I get it. But I've carefully thought over these words and they're good. No, um, but... Jesus, thank you for these gifts. And thank you for these people around me. God, help me find my gift in place. And when I find them, let me surrender them to you. Empower me to do the extraordinary. Helping, help me to lovingly serve those around me. so that we can all be fulfilled and that your church will be built. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, let us meet for baptisms at like, oh no, we can't meet yet. We need you guys to come up here. All right, everybody sit down. If you're getting baptized, get up here. All right. All right. It looks like you get to go first. You ready? All right, so uh, just share your name and then, you know, those questions we talked about, what life looked like before Jesus, how you met Jesus, and what life looks like now. Um, okay, uh, well, I, I've always known Jesus. I, I've always uh, loved the Lord and... Um, I've always felt his love. It was kind of an innate thing. Um, but I was a wanderer. I wasn't living right. Um, whenever I'd uh, go astray, um, honestly, I feel like he, he came and got me and drug me back out, no matter how many times it took. And um, 
So, and I always wanted my baptism to be, um, you know, the perfect place, the perfect this, that. Like, I wanted to be baptized in the Jordan, and um, I just decided, uh, you know, none of that's perfect, and, um, and I wasn't perfect either, That and I'll never be perfect, but um, I feel like uh, now is the time uh, I've decided, you know, that um, I love him, and I, I want to tell the world that I do, and let um, other people see him through me. I'm Raven. <laughs> um, and then what life looked like before Jesus, how you decided to follow him, and what life looks like now. I guess, like, I've kind of always known about him and, like, what he did for us, but, like, I never really understood it. Like, I went to youth group and stuff when I was little, but I never really understood. And I think, like, watching my mom and, like, going to meetings with her, I think that's kind of brought me closer to him, and now, like, I guess life is a lot different. I prayed about getting baptized a lot and, like, waiting until I felt like it was the right moment, and, like, now I feel like it is, so, yeah. I'm Jenny, and I love you guys, too. Uh, I, too, have always had Jesus in my life. Um, for as long as I can remember. Um, but I kind of stopped following him for a long time as I fell away in my life and fell away from my faith and let the devil take over me. And um, just under a year ago, I found God again with the help of my new Silver Soldiers family and my daughter and Pastor Andrew and Victoria and a couple other people that came into my life. And since then, my life has been so much better. Um, I've been full of so many blessings now, and I just, I couldn't be more thankful. And now I'm able to see clearly everything that he's done for me and how even when I fell away from him um, and was angry at him, he never left my side, and he was still there to keep pulling me out of the fire time and time again. And I guess I chose to do it here from Pastor Andrew because I've been to many churches throughout my life, but this is the, the one and only one I've ever been to where I truly felt like I was at home and I could be myself, and there was no judgment, no criticism on anything that I've done in my life, and it's just... It's a family to me, and, and it's home. So, thank you. My name is Sam. I'm an emotional wreck today, so bear with me. I've never known Jesus. So I've never accepted it. I've never... I've just been a wreck all my life, and been an addict, and convict, and whatever else it may be, but <clears throat> I've recently relapsed, and uh, I'm clean and sober today, thank the Lord, but <clears throat> I've been missing something in my life, all my life. I never knew what it was. I come in here, when was it, Sunday, or 
last week sometime, or, or last Thursday maybe it was, I don't know. It's been a bad couple weeks. But I was sober that day, and we had the sign-ups for baptisms, and so I just felt something. Something kicked inside me and said, it's time to wash it away, man. It's time to let it go. And uh, I've been running with the devil too long. I don't want to run no more. That's it. I just want to be a dad, be a good husband, just be a good person. So, and now I want to, I want to know Jesus, and I want to know, uh, I need that better life, and only I can do it, so, with his help, so. Yeah. Amen. You can uh, join us for baptisms. All right, go and build the church today. See you guys at the beach.